Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. This week, I have longtime friend Maureen Madden. She'll be sharing her insights on the challenges facing modern cities in terms of transportation, the importance of sustainable transportation systems, and the role of city planners in creating livable cities for all. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, a future renowned city planner for transportation. Enjoy. Okay. So what are you currently doing, Miss Maureen? So I am in a master's program, what's called community planning at the University of Maryland. And I'm specializing in transportation. Um, and I'm actually interning at Maryland Department of Transportation um, on their multimodal and active transportation team. Um, I'm also doing some research with this professor looking at links between transportation, land use policies, and like climate change initiatives. So, okay. I, uh, yeah. One question before I forget, because I always forget my questions, is what's your opinion of free transportation versus paid? Because <laughs> City of Fairfax just, and obviously I know a lot of college towns do that. See, College Park does that too, right? Yeah. But they're mostly, it's mostly college where they orient between the metro and the university and maybe some places where kids can kind of go to grocery stores and stuff like that. But what's your opinion on free public transport? Um, I think it differs for each like city. Um, I think bus systems should be free. I think that those, that most municipalities can cover the cost of that. Um, I think it needs to be paired with um, BRT, bus rapid transit, which basically means you give a bus its own lane so that it can actually get through traffic. I don't think buses mm. are very efficient mm. if they're sitting in the same traffic as the cars. Um, so I think buses we could do. Metro and like light rails, I think are harder because the it's it costs a lot of money to keep them up through time. And it's the chicken egg between ridership and then just good service. So DC is is trying for DC residents, so it would you, like you and I would still pay. And I think their argument is valid that you know we are going into their city to use a lot of their things, so we probably should pay more than people that are paying taxes there. But it's interesting; it gets really heated conversations. Yeah. I think we can do a lot more with buses, um, and I actually think DC is one of is doing really really good stuff kind of setting the tone for these and what they're trying. So yeah, I think it's possible. You but... bring up two good points. One, there is some high school outside Indianapolis that said, uh, basically they went through like a, I don't know if it was an advertisement or just like a, a reel that the students were doing, but they were showing like multiple gyms, like freshman gym, senior gym, a pool, a car shop, like a wood shop, like you name it, they had it there. Like they had like, uh, you know, Blake, Blake had like a really good uh, morning show. Like they had mm -hmm. everything at this high school and what the, the person who had put the video together, well, the stitch who was in the background was talking about how uh, property taxes influencing schools where mm -hmm. in effect that all these taxes to this school, because the people around it were so affluent and their property was through the roof that they could play. There was a planetarium. I've never even heard of a planetarium <laughs> going towards that. 
is that a, a big aspect? I guess you got to go through the numbers and what's, what's the big bang for your buck, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your tax base is important. I think, um, I think what people kind of sometimes forget is that land use, a, a lot of that comes at the local level, right? Those decisions are made there. So how much money you have, um, whether that's coming from property taxes or whatnot, it, it, it absolutely influences the decisions that can be made and the ties between schools, right? Property taxes and schools are, I mean, they, they go hand in hand. So yeah, the, it, it, it creates inequality. Montgomery County is a really interesting county to look at because there's a lot of money throughout the whole county, but, you know, you can kind of clearly see funding differences, but, you know, people that live close there would say, well, I'm paying more. So I, it should go to my school um, where the opposite argument where I tend to fall on is, well, we want to make sure as a society, we are kind of bringing everyone up and giving everyone good opportunity. So maybe they should be dispersed a little differently. I don't know how to do it. There are people that study that. I don't yeah. dive too deep, but absolutely. And, and the transportation piece is equally, it's it's in there as well, because if you can't, you can't afford to live close to those places, you have to live farther out, which means you have to probably take public transit to get in if you don't have a car, because cars have it costs a lot of money. So there, it just creates more spatial barriers to getting access. I was very ignorant before we started because when you introduced what you were doing specifically, because I know like every major has like, especially if you're in your master's program, you have a specific niche. And I was just yeah. thinking you were doing city planning where you were. And then when I think of it, it's such a stupid assumption because there's so no, many little not. things. No, but like when you think about city planning, it goes to like, Transportation is just so small. You've got like, I guess, small development, urban development. I mean, I, I'm just making up stuff, but I imagine there's a plethora of other things that could be your niche in city planning. Yeah, but yeah. But I, I think that that's good to think of it more holistically because they all are really, really intertwined, um, right? Like if you're, you could put businesses and houses someplace and that's part of planning. But if you're not incorporating the transportation piece, well, then it's going to be somewhat disconnected. If you're only thinking about, you know, getting people to and from really logistically, but you're not thinking about the social consequences that come from that, you're also probably not doing the best. So I think working together and piecing housing and employment and transportation and basic good schools, like it's really complicated. It's, I think one thing, the thing you learn about being in school or just anything is like, the more you learn, the more you just anything yeah and i think that that's yeah but but and then it feels overwhelming you feel like you can't do anything and then, yeah we can we can do small things um whether it be reducing the price of the bus or just getting more people to feel comfortable on the bus you know those small changes you know you get 10 percent of cars off the road like i mean if you think about that that's that's pretty significant um and there's benefits there are people that are just always going to want to drive and that's fine. I'm, you know, cars are. Um, is there a, like a, like a, a, obviously homeless people can't really apply for stuff, but is there like a program that's helping coordinate like free passes for homeless people? If there's not a free program. I feel like there probably is. Um, I don't know. I don't know about Maryland. Yeah. I don't know about DC, but. I think there's a difference maybe in people that are been home, like long-term home. I don't know the correct term for it or people that are maybe just 
um, in a transition period. And those people are the ones I think are more need the support of because maybe they're still getting to and from a job or maybe kids are involved and things uh, like yeah, that. That makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's I mean, when you think about it, the stability of a home and having just a physical address. I mean, you can't apply for jobs with that one. You can't apply for schools. Like you said, you can't really apply for a lot of programs without that. So there are definitely a lot of um, groups that are working to to like kind of find that difference. But it's hard to find people if they don't have a stable place that they're going to be. So, yeah, I think um, a lot of the argument of making it free is like, well, it eliminates a lot of the administration costs of trying to find people that are not paying the fee right? Like if you're not even going to make up the money from that, but you're spending all this time trying to find them. Also, a lot of those are people that probably can't afford it. So, so there is an argument to be made of just letting everyone on. Yeah. Cause to be fair, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever, I've ever taken a bus in Montgomery County. And when you mentioned not even like, I was thinking about not having a car and I, I've never not had a car. That's never not been an ish, but obviously like it's in the shop, but I'm talking like more long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just funny just to check your privilege every once in a while and kind of think about people who've never been so lucky to have stuff starting out like that. Yeah. It's really, really hard to live in places. I mean, Montgomery County is actually doing a lot of good stuff too. Um, especially in there. I mean, right. Again, you have to think of a context. You have the places that are really rural. Those places are not, they shouldn't be focusing on this. Like people are going to drive cars there and that's fine. But, um, you know, the more urban, more dense areas <clears throat> and kind of connecting those to places where maybe people work there, they can't afford to live there anymore. So they are moving out. How can you still bring them in, um, in a way that they're not transferring, you know, three buses or the bus doesn't come now they're late for work. And a lot of those industries, they don't, they're not as forgiving. So you could get fired a lot easier for something that it's just, it's just a cycle. So if we make it better and like you said, like make it an option, I think a lot of people don't even think twice about taking the bus somewhere. Yeah. Um, when I, when I just get the bus, I think of an inconvenience on the road, but that's yeah. just me stupidly. So no, but, but, but you are right. Like if you are, if you create a city or a place for cars and then you bring in this giant bus that is an inconvenience to the driver, right? So that's why I think make them have their own lane. And that might, if you're sitting in traffic, it's kind of the same way you see the Metro go by. Like, they're going so much faster. Like maybe I'll try the bus and you get a few people off the road. And again, like those drivers that like are just always going to drive, they have to, they want to, whatever. They still have that option, but it's to their benefit also to get people on that bus because that gets cars off the road and you're going to move faster. So it's kind of a way to make it more efficient for, for everyone. And I think if people started framing the argument that way, rather than just saying cars are bad and drivers are bad and, you know, it, it's just like, we're not really going to get anywhere that way. And, and that's not necessarily true. And that, that doesn't make a very good society either. Like options so, good options make them good options not bad or good like yeah so why city planning because it took you a while to decide on your major <laughs> yeah i went through a lot of careers in my 20s i would say and i would encourage anyone to do that like i i have no regrets on kind of the path that got me here but 
I mean, I can kind of pinpoint it to sitting in dead traffic on 495 because I was commuting from Silver Spring to Fairfax and just being so frustrated and angry and just kind of feeling miserable and and realizing like, this is not my idea of like freedom. Like I don't, I'm, and I could complain or I could tr- do something that couldn't kind of change it or change my situation. And I'd always really been interested in cities. I like walking and kind of looking at the built environment has always been really interesting to me. So yeah, it just felt, I've always, I've never really liked driving. I, I love, I've always liked taking public transit when possible. I mean, my dad's in residential construction. So I, I kind of had a sense of the buildings piece, but yeah, I liked Maryland's program. It's called community planning. So it's really based on kind of people and people are difficult and hard. <laughs> like it, like it's, it's hard to do things that are good. Um, but yeah, so then I, I, I got there and I've been studying and I'm learning the housing piece and the transportation piece. I mean, you learn a lot about the history of planning and, you know, how I think sometimes we think we just like got here because this is, it's just like naturally occurred, but it's actually was all planning decisions that, and mm-hmm. some of them were really good intentions. Some of them were, were like really not, you know, we have stated in a lot like redlining was the government saying like, this is where white people are gonna live, like black people are gonna live here. And, and that's a big, you know, it leads to a lot of generational wealth loss and those are those were planning decisions, um, the highways and things like that. So I feel like it's a big responsibility to be in that world, but it's can also you can make people's lives more better or just like less bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that so, can be a win. <laughs> so it's funny you said that you you thought of it just because you were in traffic. So you're like, I want this to stop. But then you said, I want to make a career out of it instead and totally be part of it then. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of started reading stuff about it. You just want to talk about traffic all the time. <clears throat> I, yeah. You don't want to be in it. I don't want to be in traffic. I want to get, I guess some of it is just, and I know some of the questions I'll probably touch on this because that's what I always come back to. It's just kind of changing our culture of, of cars or just the idea of them right? Like not necessarily getting everyone out of a car, but just maybe thinking, oh, I, I maybe I could walk to the store today. Or, you know, maybe now I, I feel safe enough to ride my bike to school. And those are really little things, but they're big cultural shifts that I think could have really positive impacts on our communities. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, I mean, whenever you start these big moves, you're going to you're going to have everyone who is in a seat of power or doesn't want to change. Like, for example, all that California, like switching to electric cars and stuff like that. You know how the grid went down and people are like, oh, this is why you don't switch to electric cars. But I'm like, you, you're you going to have those issues. And mm-hmm. it's it's basically like once you once you I mean, you can get the cars in place. Obviously, you would want the grid to support such an electrical draw. But the main thing is. Once you have one in place, the other will follow from what I've seen. But and 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 that goes for other aspects as well, not just transportation, but infrastructures. And it's not just you're no matter what, most of the time you're never going to get it right on the first or second or third or fourth try. It's more like a reiterative process to like slowly trim away the solution to get to something that's close to your dream. 
Yeah. No, it's you're exactly right. I think there's never a silver bullet. Change is really hard from a lot of aspects. And but yeah, you just have you have to try things. And and yeah, you you only learn from trying and kind of failing and shifting and being agile to and just being vulnerable to saying like, yep, that was bad. How do we change it? And taking, you know, instead of just saying really tunnel visioned into one way, one thing, because things can sound really good on paper. But like you said, you, once you start implementing, oh, okay, we're going to shift here. This is better. This is not working. But we wanted to, you know, empower this group, but actually it's empowering this group. Like, how do we change that? And it's messy. And yeah, I think we, when you put it into like action cycles, it gets even messier because you, people want to see progress and they want to see it really fast because that's what we do. And we have come to a society where we get that most of the time, but planning is really, really a long game. And so it's really hard to just say like, this is going to take time because we don't like that. Yeah. What what do they say that uh, like what a president enacts doesn't really show till like seven or eight years after they start uh, uh, office or, or yeah, whenever probably. they start enacting stuff. And half the time that can be already dying, you know, like the next person's already. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Fun, fun part. What's five things that you would like to have in your, like I said, it can't be perfect, but you're close to perfect city. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to answer this correctly, but give me lots of power. I, I'm a fan of the concept of 15 minute cities. I think there's, you're gonna, we're going to have to elaborate on what a 15 okay. minute city is. So it's, it's in a nutshell, the idea you can kind of get to all your basic necessities within like a 15 minute trip. Um, I mean, there's a lot to work out from that. I'm not saying that that's again, like a silver bullet, but it's for dense areas like Paris um, is doing is making a lot of changes kind of in that scope and their mayor is doing fantastic work there. I think it's, that's a cool, if people are at all interested, um, a cool current example, but I mean, I, I guess if you're living in a city, I would hope you're already buying into the concept of density being an asset. Um, so I would say walkability, especially to schools, um, a range of housing types, single family, garden apartments, condos, multifamily, and, um, really trying to consciously think about making things like ADA compliant. So people can age in place or, you know, maybe someone that has disability or lives with someone that does still can be a part of society and get out. It's not like a whole ordeal to just get out and, and be part of society. Um, a reliable bus service for sure. And, um, let's see, outdoor green space with like playgrounds and areas for people to gather, um, and, but making sure their people feel safe there and whatever that means. Um, I guess my fifth one would be a main street that has, you know, local businesses. Something um, that kind of support, uh, tourism. I feel like that's like most cities need to have kind of like satellite areas where they can kind of congregate, but like a main street is kind of like a big allure of going to a city. Like you've got, uh, well, you know, and when we went to, uh, what's it called? Austin rainy street, you've got, or sixth street or I don't even know what DC's is. 
what do you, what would you say dc's i, I don't even think we have i, I mean I, I this is not right but I, I mean when you think of dc you think of the museums and stuff so, yeah that's um, true but it's a little different right than just a strip but yeah like having that is is important you know that a spatially like recognized space and i think having like a library there is really important yeah i probably should have thought harder about that but i i think the big emphasis on safety and accessibility and That's you good. can kind of build from there yeah i i definitely when you do the soft like the easy things you don't think about it makes like the harder things like supporting let's say they want to put a soccer team in there if you have a safe area and you have this is going to sound kind of devil's advocate for what I was saying before, but if you've got the property taxes to support the area, why not include it? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. M money is good. Like I, I think having money is a big part of being successful in our society, but it just is true. So how do you manipulate that to be as, you know, how do you use that to an advantage to support as many people as possible but you have i mean you have so, to play the system <laughs> so this is going to make my next question which you know so much better so what do you think about big businesses like amazon and uh like google moving into big cities obviously most most people know that one uh i don't know if they remember two or maybe four years back when amazon was like looking for their next headquarters at uh all these big cities were getting huge tax benefits and other stuff like that what's your opinion on catering to stuff and even locally you could even make the argument earlier this year of uh daniel snyder from the commanders trying to pitch their stadiums to different counties around mm -hmm. and them trying to give tax incentives and which i i'm, I'm not a big uh football fan but i saw some spec it was like a uh showing how many stadiums and how far they are actually from the DC, like their actual epicenter. And one was like 20 miles away. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. How can you really have a city team if this, if, if the stadium's like 20 miles away, I think it was in Texas, the two ones were, and it was just one sport I was looking at too. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of research on that. If you're, a, if you are interested in that, a lot of people have done, really really interesting work on kind of connected stadium location because i think they and, did a great job with dc united like i, yeah, I don't know how they worked that and and uh nationals i remember when baltimore orioles was like the team like we didn't have really any we didn't have anything in dc besides like the Until wizards moved, yeah the wizards and the, the caps were in verizon when it used to be called verizon center yeah yeah there yeah i could I, I could go into that, but I I will not. I'll answer your Amazon question, which is a, is a loaded question. I I will try to be careful here because the reality is it's it's really not all bad. Um, it's not amazing either, right? But like it still very much scares me the the power that this company has. Um, but I I do believe some of their efforts have good intentions. Um, like the road is paved with those right so i think my first my first comment would be i don't think it's the duty of a private company to tackle 
repairing the externalities of its services. Like I think with affordable housing, which Amazon's kind of like touching on here, like they have some projects, they'll maybe zero out the impact of their HQ2. Probably not. But I think the government needs to take more responsibility and better regulation and funding of affordable housing. Like I just don't think it's Amazon. You think job. it's just like a, a check checkbox type of deal where we've got four walls, we've got some uh, utilities going to the houses, but it there's no check back in. There's no feedback, kind of like we're done type deal. I think I would give them more credit than that. I My guess is they're bringing in really smart people who are passionate about the work. The problem is you can't just add like 600 units and say that that's making a dent, right? Like the the affordable housing it problem is so massive that that's just not going to cut it at all. And it's still not enough housing. So it's still going to be somewhat going in, like going to people who probably could afford a little bit more. Like it's still not addressing the bottom line issue of the people that really need the most housing. Um I think they're I think they're trying. I mean I'm trying I'm trying to be what's that word? Optimistic. I just think they are a private company. Like their end goal is to make money. That that is how our system's set up. I'm not saying that that's good. Like but I understand why they make the decisions that they do. Um, and I think they understand that they need local support, right, to make their business better. So these a lot of these efforts, sure, are business oriented. But I think they they I do think they understand that piece. But again, how. How good they can be at making any change, right, like against their the kind of bad parts they're bringing in uh i don't i don't see it really being i think it's a wash basically kind of a wash probably still a little bit i mean they are bringing in jobs their service is obviously very well sought um after and i think it it's a really really like great opportunity like we said something new for this powerful stimulant to our local economy but I just think they're not working together well enough. I think people are probably scared <laughs> of regulating Amazon. That sucks because that is the job of a government, right? To like protect its citizens, not companies. So wow. I, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I feel, I mean, was Northern Virginia the place that needed that? Like, no, no. But it made the most sense for them as a company to come here. So I think it was more, I don't, I, I got to double check my facts, but from what I saw, does, isn't Jeff Bezos have a big stock of like Washington Post and he just, he owns it. Uh, and then the other thing is, I mean, this makes sense, but Northern Virginia is the new, the new hub of Silicon Valley. Like with, I, I'll give you an example, Amber Heard and the Johnny Depp trial. The reason that they were here is because. I don't know how, I, I think I read something that was like 70 to 80% of all internet traffic goes through Northern Virginia because of the uh, Amazon AWS servers go through there. And that's mm -hmm. where the Johnny Depp uh, 
article on Washington Post was on the servers. And that's why they brought it to two miles from my house that the Fairfax, uh, uh, what's that called? Fairfax Court or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just funny. I mean, like. It's scary. It's, I am scared. Like, I, I think it's nuts how much power that man has. Yeah, I mean, he in D.C., the one area that, I mean, has never been not connected with, you know, that private companies have always been influencing Washington, right? Like, that's not a surprise. But to this extent and, right, like having a lot of ownership and stuff, I mean, he's about to maybe buy the commanders. Like, whether he's a good person or not, it doesn't really matter because having that much influence over a democratic government i don't know i feel worried (laughs) yeah well i mean all these people who are making uh political choices based off of amazon's actions i mean what if they don't get their packages on time anymore like oh you better you better vote correctly or you're not going to get a two-day shipping yeah well that i mean i could go into the two i actually will because this is my only platform and people can turn me off but everyone hates my argument on this but i my, my biggest issue with Amazon is the packages, right? Like they are obviously bigger than that at this point. But I think, and again, it kind of comes back to that cultural piece, like the driving mindset, but it feels scary about living in a society where we need, or I guess to just have anything delivered within an hour or two and like expect that. Um, I think there's something to go into a store and purchasing item, which kind of, if you're doing that, it means you actually want it or need it. Um, and obviously, there are wonderful things this has brought about bringing people medication or people that can't go out or people that are far from stores, right? I'm not taking away from that at all. So I'm not saying it's bad. I just think we're kind of over, we're taking advantage of it. Yeah. And then it, it trickles back, right, to the packaging. There's so much packaging. And then the trucks. And that has like really changed traffic patterns. And you have them just sitting outside places, which, sometimes blocks a sidewalk and then kids can't, you know, or it's just, there's just more of them or they're everywhere and they're driving. I'm not going to say they're like, they're very safe drivers the of the cars of or whatever they're called trucks, but they're on a time limit to get places fast. Right. So if you're, if you're gauging success on that, it's not, it's not really the same gauge as like making a safe, built environment for children like those like they just you can't coexist so i think that we the people who are like we need to collectively decide that that's like what's more important but it's so easy to just order this stuff i i don't know i feel scared that this we're just coming into this you know this automation of things um and we're losing a lot of social stuff from it and so quickly and without really recognizing it. But once it becomes normal, it's really hard to take these things away once you are so used to something. So that's kind of where I feel worried about Amazon. Just the, I don't know. And, you know, there's good, there's good, but. And it's obvious that you don't have Amazon Prime from the last time. I don't, (laughs) but I have used it, right? Like there are times I'm like, oh, I can't find any of the store. So I don't, I don't, I know sometimes I'll just Amazon, but I, I, you know, at a more the at the more real level, what I think is it's great. It's a it's obviously a wonderful service, but we need us we need to take more responsibility. And like, I can do this, but should I do this? 
or should I rethink this? Do I need that? Like, it's just so much stuff. We don't, we don't need all the stuff. I, I get, I get your opinion. And obviously <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to say, I like Amazon because I'm yeah, one of, I'm one of those like, people. I, I'm not, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but counter counter argument, not even for Amazon. My parents, I don't know if you know this, they like to collect stuff because they're from a day and age where the exact opposite is like, yeah. like you understand this even better because my parents are from six. They have six brothers and sisters on either side and like getting items that were theirs, theirs and didn't mm -hmm. have to pass down was like amazing. And yeah. also they're, they're old as dirt, like 1947, they were born. <laughs> so they, nowadays they keep everything but like mm -hmm. unlike us well unlike me who if i if i need something like if i need let's see how random i can get if i need a garden thermometer that gives me a range of temperatures <laughs> that it'll turn on at i can get that within an hour just like you say but mm -hmm. to my parents that was something you would have to search around the yellow pages to find and then once you found the yellow pages you would have to call these places up Mm -hmm. Hey, do you have this? And then once you got it, the time spent, like some costs is in like everything people do. And it just influences their decisions on everything, like keeping mm -hmm. items, throwing away items. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 like, I see that totally. And I get it. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that that's bad. But I think oh, it's worth I, I don't like, think it's, I, I'm not promoting my, I'm just throwing. No, I know. My, but like, I think, oh, it's snowing. It was Big 70 today. <laughs> um, was it 80? Yeah, it was 80. So that's something. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess my, the fear of kind of going in that same vein of like having access to everything and just that, and then maybe not, how do we come back from that? Yeah. And also small businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. are you riled up? I, I think there is, I don't know how to say this without sounding such a, but there is some good that can come out of, yeah, going to stores and, but all, and buying things there and getting to know, you know, that the people there or just, just going out into society is, yeah. could be, but the flip side is, yeah, do we really need all the stuff that we're buying? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how can we create an environment that encourages like a, like we kind of were talking about your idea of a main street encourages mm -hmm. young people to stay in the city and thrive. I would imagine this would be a type of city where you don't have gentrification. And like you said, the red line area where kind of the city slowly changes kind of, uh, lights up back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So how do we create that environment? Yeah. What are, I guess, what are some keys or it says strategies, but. All right. So just stop me if this gets like, so too redundant, but I really think again, like the basis of it all is trust. And, and when I was thinking about this, this might tangent a bit, but it brought an interesting thought to my mind. Like when, and I'll speak for myself, but maybe you or other millennials will feel similarly, but like we grew up with globalization being like everywhere we learned about it it was like on the news that like this idea that like 
everything's global and the notion that kind of means everything's out of our hands at this point, right? It's too big to fail. It's too big to change. It's global. And like, that's, that's the world. And I, would you maybe agree that that was? Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that makes us millennials is 9-11 kind of made it more. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. The idea that we are outside of, uh, of our bubble and their, you know, consequences from that in, yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Or did I just go on a tangent? No, no. I I think that you, you, I think you're right in that a lot of our generation had that kind of coming to Jesus moment at that moment. And I think the idea that, yeah, the world is bigger than just us and, and yeah, that your idea of kind of safety gets broken. And that's a big piece of what I think people want to like vibrant and prosperous cities are built around trust and safety. Um, and I think that we, because the world is so connected, like we kind of forget about how important the local stuff is. Um, and like, like that's actually where decisions are made. And the, that's kind of what is deciding how our day is going to be and how our life's going to be, how our children are going to be educated. But we kind of, I don't know, there's a, the, there's so that the globalization international is so sexy. And so I think we kind of get, and me too, get kind of caught up in that. But really how to build a prosperous society is do the hard work in the small space that you're in. Help your neighbor, basically. Yeah, like, yeah, help your neighbor. Like, be involved in in the process and help build the stability there. Because if you feel comfortable where you are and you feel a part of something and you have created a, you know, where there is safe streets or there's a way to get to work and get home to have a nice meal with your family and, you know, go like that's, I think, really what people want. And then the other stuff can come after. But if you don't feel any sense of place, I think that's scary. I think that's, you know, a lot of this like loner, whatever. I don't know. There's yeah. some word that's called now that like we're all alone and sad. And it makes total sense if you're not connecting with people and the people that are supposed to be, you're supposed to be building a strong community with. Yeah, it's going to happen. And then you're not going to feel responsibility to, yeah. you know, help and and build something positive. And that seems, that to me is also really scary. You know, when we get so global, we get so Amazon focused, we just think other people are going to do all this stuff and that a safe community just is. We just deserve it. but it's a privilege to live somewhere where you feel safe and part of something, but it takes work to do that. And I think I, until I really realized how much has to be done at the local level, just thought that we just get that. We don't, and we're losing a lot of that. And I think it's a big piece of maybe if crime is rising in a place or because when you're not, you know, it's the same thing when you, you take care of your family so much and you do anything for them because you, you know, you are part of that group and that can extend to a community. It's like, I think of it on a childish level, but it's just like politicians where, or I'll explain it in baseball. Like you never see coaches just start at, well, that's not true. There's some nepotism, but you you have coaches start at like high schools or colleges. And then after they get good at helping their community or baseball team, they move up to college. They move up to, like minor leagues, they move up to MLB. And that that's kind of how I feel it. Like once, once you're good in your community and you feel like maybe you can help participate on a larger scale, 
but uh yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, I see that just do the hard small things that are like that's what that's the basis of anything good i think okay you know what the next question is <laughs> um what is something that your parents did you like to pass on to your children and what is something that you maybe want to do some differently well <laughs> i i love both my parents so much i feel like i got so lucky with them um but they're really different people mm -hmm. like and i think that something i inherited from being around both of them is the ability to kind of like see both sides of things i think i get along with a lot of different people i'm able to communicate with people that maybe i don't necessarily agree with but can try to find common ground i think that kind of comes back to my parents and to pass on i i mean sounds redundant but i mean my mom had five kids freaking crazy children and she would still shout find out time. shout out to the siblings yeah hey guys uh, um they're definitely never listening to this. no offense <laughs> not for you but for uh, me um no, it's funny. <laughs> but she would still like go and bring stuff to her neighbor if they were sick or sh like her home i made like i hope that you would remember this like anyone could just come into our house and hopefully feel safe and welcome and our house was always a mess growing up and like that would kind of bother me but now that i'm older i can really see that's mostly because we were the kids were slobs but also my mom she just she spent her time doing other things that she felt were more important like taking care of people and i i respect her a lot for that so i think you know the the piece of doing the work comes from her um and then for my dad i'd like to pass on he, like he calls it quiet confidence and just the idea of like believing in yourself but again like doing the hard work like always treating people with respect and you know whatever line of work they're in like everyone there's you know dignity in everything and what people do and to just yeah life's short so like try your best feel proud of what you're doing if it doesn't work out like whatever like it's just like you you can complain and complain but that doesn't do anything and just um life is short we're you're all gonna kick it um so from them yeah they i think well-rounded yeah you, you hit all the, you hit all the spots with those parents it's great <laughs> okay anything i know you already said something that you wanted to promote was there anything you want to push i will promote my sister's nonprofit. okay yeah, it's called Letters to a Pre-Scientist. It's a fabulous organization. It's her and just two other employees, but they it's a lot, they match basically um, middle school students um, in their science class to real life scientists. Um, and they try to kind of break down the stereotype that a scientist is just a white man in a like a lab coat, that they can be really, really arranged of anyone that's just kind of touching in the STEM field and they write letters back and forth. And the idea is to kind of keep, especially girls and um, like lower income students interested in STEM and promoting them into that field work. So what's, it's great. What's what's the IG handle? Just in case people want to follow. Mm -hmm. I don't have that in Instagram. I will, I will attach I don't even know if they have one. Then. Yeah, it's called Letters to Pre-Scientists. But yeah, I think- Letters to Pre-Scientists, there you go. Just be, um, do what makes yeah. you happy or die trying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to die. So to, like take things, to, like take pride in what you do. Try really hard, but 
sometimes like I don't think I'm going to change the world. I'm not going to change the transportation sector, but I hope that I can make some small difference in making, you know, some road safer for some kids. And that to me is like, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I, and by the way, this, this girl has helped me with multiple summaries of episodes because if you know me well, I am not the best writer. I've got spirit, but not. <laughs> You're a good writer. Mm. I'm not a very good writer, but I appreciate. Well, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Grad school helps. Oh, yeah. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.